0: Welcome to Dragon Talk.
1: <laughs> I'm lip syncing.
0: <laughs> You're doing Keep a going. good job of it. I am Greg Tito, uh, host of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I am joined by...
1: Shelly Mazenobel. <laughs> You're supposed to do my name. Shelly Mazenobel. Shelley
0: Ventriloquism. So I was listening to the Script Notes podcast, the one that Craig Mazin and John August—gosh, uh, this was like three years ago—we had wow. them on the podcast. Jeez. Uh, but Craig it, it did this whole thing where he hates ventriloquism, Ventriloquist, and he's like, "This is a, it's a terrible thing. No one should ever do it. There's no talent involved." It's there just, is, it, there is, there totally is. But it was just funny how vehemently he was against well, it as an art form, and it was right. And it was did you see the thing like two weeks ago where no. there was this like the uh, there's a a. Uh, museum in somewhere in middle America that is like where um, ventriloquists dummies no, oh no. go after could, the ventriloquist has passed away. Oh, they like now donate it to this museum, and so there's
1: oh know, and there's like hundreds dummies hun- like
0: all displayed, all looking at at you at the camera uh, with the r- no
1: mouth, no voice, no,
0: v- and they're just all just- like staring there, yeah. No, creep, creep. My mom
1: bought me a dummy when I was a child.
0: <laughs> like, and then you got your brother.
1: And his name was Mike Mazinoble.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but oh, uh, we're all done. Set this it is it. See you later. Spike it. He doesn't even listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> he doesn't even know that I work here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we Gins burned him. That's a Gins All right. We're bringing this all full circle. Uh, we have uh, two amazing guests on this podcast today. I love it. Chris Perkins. Woo! I mean, is he really a guest? He's kind of like, you know, he's a he's, friend he's, he's, he's friend of the show. Yeah, just, he's probably a friend. He basically is the reason we're all here. Uh, and Matthew right? Mercer.
1: Very exciting. Yeah. In person. In
0: person, which is yeah, always yeah. great. Yeah. Um, So, with a far-ranging conversation, uh, we talked about uh, how Matthew was brought in to talk about Waterdeep Dragon Heist years ago, um, as well as what it's like to be streaming and being a dungeon master for that type of thing. And then a little bit about imposter syndrome, which we all kind of have a little bit here in the tabletop role-playing thing.
1: You just have to have low self-esteem.
0: That's it. Everybody has pretty low self-esteem. Yeah. We all just assume that uh, people are going to find out that we don't know what we're doing. Well, Mostly on this podcast is when I'm going to have that been, real fear. How long
1: have we been doing this podcast?
0: <laughs> and we still don't really know they what we're know, doing. They
1: know, but everyone knows. Everyone knows, but know we still don't we'll know. Do. It's part of the
0: charm, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it was really great to hear uh, both Chris and Matt speak to that a little bit. Uh, so you'll hear that on the interview. And uh, that they get uh, nervous. Yeah, I know. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it brings us all kind of, you know, makes us all feel part of the same community. It was yep. really great. I love it. Uh, I loved it too. So uh, I can't wait for you guys to listen. It's uh, fantastic. And so uh, without further ado, I'm going to tell you all about what's happening with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so, Waterdeep Dragon Heist is out now. You can get that uh, adventure. We are gearing up for Dungeon of the Mad Mage, uh, oh, yeah. which is coming very soon. It's in November, and it is going to be fantabulous for everyone involved, including uh, you, Shelly. You think? No. Not huh.
1: really. Okay.
0: Did that get it? A- oh, no, there it is. Oh, So, yeah, that'll be in-game stores on November 2nd.
1: Wait, that's that- really soon. Yeah, we're
0: recording this on October 1st, and uh, that's less than a month away. I way. can't it's October. Yeah, November. no, time traveling. Crazy. Uh, it'll be available everywhere November 13th. That is a fantastic adventure that kind of takes where Waterdeep Dragon Heist starts and uh, throws the player characters into exploring underneath the city of Waterdeep into Undermountain. A little bit about Skullport, the uh, settlement that is also underground that uh, has a lot of nefarious folks in it, like, like Bob and Ralph and John and Xanathar.
1: Xanathar. Zanithar.
0: <laughs> Just a few cutthroats and ne'er-do-wells that are down there. Be careful. Um, so, yeah, check that out when it is dropping. And will be doing more um, talking about that in the next month or so uh, uh, so that you're all up to speed, including another product that we've got coming out, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, yeah. uh, which is also coming in November November 9th. In fact, it will be available in game stores November 20th after that. Uh, and that details all about the... Ravnica Plain, the Plain of Ravnica, uh, which is basically a big, huge city ruled by ten guilds, and uh, you can play as a member of those guilds or not, uh, but that's a, a great way to jump into adventuring in D and D style, in you know a world that magic has brought to life through their cards and their art and their amazing storytelling. I know, it's about time I can't wait.
1: Streams crossed,
0: and I'm learning more and more about Ravnica, and it's fantastic, and it's been really great to see other members of the team taking like a crash course and in that and 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 uh, uh, bringing it to life. Uh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. So Ari Levitch has been doing a great job uh, with that. James Wyatt, uh, who we've had on the podcast a bunch of times, talking yeah. about his. Uh, 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 contribu- uh, contributions to that product, as well as the plane shift articles, that kind of jump-started this whole idea of magic and D and D playing in each other's uh, neighborhoods. Love it. Good stuff yep. all around. Yep. Um, also, for the kids out there, we've got two really fun things: uh, ABCs and One Two Threes of D and D. Is a, a two books actually not just one? There's no? two books. Of rhyming couplets that you can uh, read to your kid. So good. Yeah. They're really good. The artwork is fantabulous. Uh, it really just brings to life the kind of whimsical nature of uh, the, the storytelling that you can get with uh, a D&D that's flavored for kids. Yep. Also, teaches them about both their A's, their B's, and their C's. And no more. But nothing else. You only learn those, those, those three Those are three probably letters. the most important. Right. right. Exactly. And then one, two, threes, you know, you know that those are numbers and they right. exist. Yeah. That's n- all that it tells we you. We don't
1: need, kids don't need <laughs> numbers anymore. They don't use them anymore. They don't use them anymore. No. It's all ones and it's zeros. All that's yep. all I need.
0: They just need to count to one and zero multiple times in multiple <laughs> orders. Binary. <laughs> in that's order it. to program games or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're wonderfully illustrated and uh, I suggest you check them out. The The poems and the rhyming couplets are, yep. are, are amazing and fun to read. They
1: are really fun to read and that's important as a parent because yes. you are going to read these books many, many times and then many, many times again.
0: And uh, Caleb Cleveland's illustrations are also just gorgeous yep. and look really uh, – you know, they bring that storytelling to life. Um, these books will be out on November 13th. Oh, my God, November. Yes, another November. Crazy, right? Yep. Uh, and speaking of November, Dungeon Mayhem, also perfect for kids. Yep. That's a card game. Small footprint, really only not that much bigger than a cell phone as far as what the box is. Put it in
1: your is. bag, put it in your purse.
0: You can choose one of four uh, decks to play, and they're mm-hmm. they're mapped to character classes of so Barbarian, Paladin, Wizard, Rogue. Yep. They all have specific names and characters, so that, that brings them to life, which I think is pretty cool. Yes. And then, yeah, it's really simple to learn and uh, difficult to master. Yes. Right, because there's more strategy to it than you think there at first glance.
1: I love doing combos. It's really fun. Yeah. It allows you to play numerous cards at the same time and just just cause some mayhem.
0: I also really like to eat combos. I love
1: combos. <laughs> you know they're so good.
0: <laughs> like the like the 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 cheddar cheese Though, pretzel yeah. one yeah. is like yeah yeah.
1: Amazing. I you know what I would even eat a pizza flavored one right now. <sighs> Not gonna lie. Are
0: you still hungry? Since your meeting, uh, we had where it was like...
1: That was me digesting the food that I shoveled into my face eight minutes before our meeting. All right, then. I had beans and corn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This podcast smelled delicious Uh. because I also had beans and corn. (laughs) Did you really? Well, I mean, a lot of roughage, if you know what I mean. Oh. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> so let's throw it to one of our amazing segments uh, right about now, and then we will continue with our interview with Matthew Mercer and Chris Perkins. What do you think? Yes. Yes. Bings, bongs, and bluey. <laughs> like kablooey? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Greetings. How are you today? I am doing pretty good for a Monday. It's the first of October, which is great. It always means that there's more impending doom happening in October. That's right, yes. Yes. And you have to refer to me as Chris Pumpkins. (laughs) <laughs> Not Chris S. Pumpkins. <laughs> are you okay with me and Pelham uh, putting on skeleton costumes and uh, uh, doing that sketch oh, for you? Jesus! Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's
2: uh, yeah.
0: All right. Well, we'll do that on a separate segment. Okay, great. Today we're going to talk about Undermountain in Lorius Chudown, which is where we delve into all kinds of things about D and D lore that you can use for your thing. And uh, Undermountain's got a long storied history, doesn't it? Yeah, but why are we talking about it, Greg? What I mean,
2: what? What is the timing here?
0: It's almost as if there's a book called Dungeon of the Mad Mage that That's is
2: right. on the horizon. Yes. The Mad Mage being none other than Halaster Black Cloak. Exactly. Yep. And, uh, so does Who we create... talked about previously. We
0: have. Yeah. yeah. So look that up if you guys haven't seen it, and uh, we'll put it, try to put it in the notes. But um, was it? What, did, did Halaster Black Cloak create Undermountain?
2: He did not, oh. um, but he has taken stewardship of it. And uh, has been there long enough that he and the dungeon are sort of bound together forever. And uh, he uh, he came to Undermountain, as many crazy wizards do, in the quest and search for greater magic, greater power. Mm. And uh, whatever he found down there uh, obviously was great enough that he decided to make it his residence. And he... Um, lives down there
0: still, even though hundreds of years of his life have passed. Did he... What what was in that uh, under mountain that uh, drew him?
2: So there's a certain je ne sais quoi, a a a sort of a magical allure to the place uh, that draws beings to it Mm -hmm. like moths to a flame. Mm. Um, And he was not immune, and other adventurers adventurous sorts yeah. have not been immune um, but basically uh, he came in search of power he came to sort of get away from it all to because uh, he has a, a long storied history going back to uh, he came from a place called the cradle lands a sort of ancient forgotten realm and uh, things like that and yeah. he actually had another identity before then he wasn't the halister that we know him today Interesting, uh, but uh, uh, long story short uh, and he didn't come alone. He came and settled in the area under Mount Waterdeep with seven apprentices. And together, the eight of them went down into the dungeon. And uh, Hallister stayed while apprentices sort of came and went. Mm-hmm. Some of the apprentices um, went mad with him. Others went off on their own exploits
0: and then later returned. Um, was he... was the, In the timeline, was this... Before or after, Durnan had created the yawning portal and had already, and, and kind of set. Up. So
2: all of this, uh, Hallister had a tower uh, that was sort of his base of operations, mm-hmm. and underneath the tower is sort of how he got into the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, over time, the tower sort of sort of collapsed into the earth. Uh, he sort of drove it down into the earth like a spike. <laughs> okay, and uh, it is that crumbling shell of a tower that became the well shaft of what is presently known as the Yawning Portal. Interesting. Okay, so that all happened after he was kind of permanently resided there. So Durnan, after Hallister and his apprentices kind of took over the dungeon, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, Durnan and um, Mert, the moneylender, were two adventurers who went down into Undermountain to plunder it. Uh, they were successful to an extent. They came back very, very rich, mm-hmm. lots of magic items and gold. Uh, uh, Mert went off to basically strike up his business and engage in acts of debauchery and all the things that you do when you have money coming up your waz- coming out of your wazoo. Mm-hmm. Durnan had the more practical idea of, let me build a tavern over this hole in the earth and charge people to descend down into the dungeon. And I will continue to profit from this over the years. But we also sort of say in Dungeon of the Mad Mage and elsewhere that there's more to it than that, that Durnan, like Hallister, succumbed in a way to the allure of the dungeon and oh. c- cannot leave it even if he wants to. Interesting. Um, that he is bound to this place. And what we basically say in Dungeon of the Mad Mage, we do give the DM some information about what is actually causing this. Mm. And we've touched on this before, I think, in an earlier podcast, that the dungeon sits under Waterdeep, which is a city. Mm-hmm. Before Waterdeep was a city, it was a fort. Before that fort, Nimor's Hold, was there, dwarves lived under the mountain. And before the dwarves came to live under the mountain, the elves claimed this land as a great kingdom, and an elven city
3: mm-hmm. stood
2: where Waterdeep is. When the elves wiped that city away... T- they basically erased it, removed all signs of their presence. That magic that they used created a knot in the weave. Mm. Um, it happens with super, super high-level magic. And that knot has never un- become undone. And it's that tangling of the weave that allows Halaster. Halaster was able to tap into that and allows him to do things uh, like reshape the dungeon. mm um, but it has also affected his mind. And Durnan and others like him have also been touched by this knot in the weave and are sort of magically tangled up in it. But mm. you can't really know that. And not everybody who goes down in Dunder Mountain experiences this effect.
0: Um, Is it usually tied to spellcasters like, or people yeah, who are... Not even.
2: It's like It's sort of like... You're walking through an old house, and you know there's that one creaky floorboard. Yeah, you have an X percent chance of stepping on it every time you sort of cross this area. Yeah, Dernan stepped on it one time, and that's it. And you know, but other people can go through the hall, or you know, metaphorically speaking, and not step on that, and so they never feel the the tug, the persistent
0: tug of undermountain. And the more you go, the more likely you are to, to succumb. Or yeah, you know, yeah, to, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Exactly. So, uh, when Halister and his, his apprentices went down there... What did they see? Yes, exactly. Yeah.
2: They saw uh, old caverns and carved out dungeons. Now, some of the dungeons that constitute Undermountain were carved by dwarves, specifically the dwarves of the Malerican clan. Mm-hmm. And after them, uh, great dwarves, Duragar who sort of followed in and tried to rob, rob the mines of their riches... After the Malarican were sort of gotten rid of, um, Drow also carved out various sections of Undermountain, hmm. and so the works of the Malarican dwarves and the Doragar and the Drow are all still present there. On top of that, Hallister has since made his own refinements, changing the orientation of dungeon corridors to suit his whims uh, through his his magical hold over the dungeon. And so now the dungeon is this melange of different architectural styles and um, features. Yeah. Features that the Malerkin uh, preferred, things that the Drow did customarily in their architecture. It all kind of blends together. Interesting.
0: So, um, where, oh, what state is it in that, pl- that players will kind of find it now?
2: So, Under Mountain. It's a it's a known thing. People in Waterdeep are well and truly aware that they yeah. live in a city on top of a big, scary dungeon. Um, and they know the primary route that you get to the dungeon is through the Yawning Portal. Now, the dungeon has been... Parts of it have been extensively explored over the years. But Halister's continued presence means that you can't necessarily bank on what other people tell you about what lies down there. Because it, it it, it's not a static dungeon. It can its occupants can change, its configurations can to some extent change. Uh, Now, previous Undermountain products have uh, delved into the uppermost levels quite extensively. Um, And Dungeon of the Mad Mage um, revisits them Mm -hmm. to an extent. And uh, so those, those are kind of better known. The top level, which is doesn't have the most imaginative name. It's called the dungeon level. Oh, the dungeon level. But if you're in Waterdeep, that's probably what you'd call it, right?
0: Because it's where, where most yeah. people who go into it—that's the only you know—that's as deep as they go, right? Pretty
2: much. That's the first and last level of the dungeon
0: they ever get to see. <laughs> it's Filled um, with corpses as far as the yeah, can see. Yeah.
2: Uh, I'm well. You know, I'm sure Halister does some cleaning up, but yes, it is. It is a well-traveled level, and um, many of its rooms are are well enough known that you know. You might hear about them talked about in tavern gossip and what have you. Mm. And uh, over the years, in various products, we have revisited those familiar rooms over and over and over again. And in some cases, introduced minor changes just to reflect the passage of time between editions. Because right now in the current edition, we're sitting in the area of like 1488 to 1492 DR. Mm -hmm. When Ed Greenwood first sat down to create Undermountain for the Undermountain box set, the year was like 1369. So he was presenting the dungeon in that time. Got it. Uh, When we revisited uh, Undermountain in fourth edition in a a book, a 96-page book called Halls of Undermountain – a lot of that had to do with exploring the first level of the dungeon, and uh, we introduced a few evolutionary changes to some locations. Like we we sort of presumed that oh a, a hobgoblin warlord has moved into the dungeon, and so here's the section of the dungeon that this warlord has taken over. Yeah, that kind of thing. We continue to do that uh, with the mad mage. Um, one of the elements that we've introduced uh, that's new to the level. Uh, amid the sort of things that people who have read the first level of the dungeon before f- would be familiar with mm-hmm. we 've added a few surprises um, new inhabitants uh, and um, but really, the dungeon level at its core is meant to be kind of your archetypal d and d dungeon
0: oh, okay that which makes is
2: it 's rooms linked by tunnels. And you might have to break down a few doors and find a few secret doors. And you'll see some miscellaneous monsters scattered around. You'll see the remains of dead adventurers who didn't get very far.
0: Right. Um, That's and some, cool. So it almost yeah. can feel like, you know, okay, this is, this is what dungeon means when we say Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. But yes. then as you go farther, Precisely. things get changed and different. Yes. And so
2: we're really kind of, with, with the first level, just basically saying, yeah, this, this is the dungeon that kind of meets your expectations, Um, and you'll see a few things in the dungeon that will point you to stuff that you'll find deeper down. Oh, okay. Um, Just little, little things. Um, for instance, I'm not giving anything terribly away that you might find the survivor of an adventuring party whose other party members are scattered
0: Oh, neat. Nice. In other areas of the dungeon. And then they can give you all kinds of information. <laughs> yeah. You can and, trust or yes, not trust exactly, based on that. Exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. That's super neat. Or maybe it's sent by Halaster himself. Right, like all kinds of crazy exactly. things. Exactly. Th- that's, that's,
2: that's the other thing that, um, and this is not only true of the first level of the dungeon, but you'll, it's something that we picked up on in readings of other versions of Undermountain, mm-hmm. is this sense that Halaster is ever-present, even when he's not Mm. which is to say there should be, there are things in the dungeon that tip you off or remind you who the owner of the house is, like pictures on a wall in your own house, right? Yeah. If a burglar were to break into your house, they would see pictures of you and your family and all that, and they'd see mementos of your trips to wherever and your album preferences. Did I say album? Are those the things? No. Nobody what, has albums anymore. Exactly. Okay. Of
0: course, my house is mostly demon right. DVDs
2: but. and, you know, all... The signs of who you are yeah. are everywhere. Right. Um, same thing in Undermountain is you get all these signs or cues of who the owner of this place is.
0: Right. And does and, does Halster spend uh, a lot of time on the first level, or is he? You know, is, that's is, is a very he good omnipresent. Question. Like, how, so, how does it feel?
2: Um, he his omnipresence, even though he very rarely visits every level of the dungeon anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, his omnipresence is felt in. Kind of like, um, what in 5th edition, mechanically, how we'd use lair actions and things like that. Oh, I see. Where he, one of the things that uh, you'll probably encounter on the first level is one of his magical sensors, which are these floating eyes. They were first described in the original Undermountain box set by Mm -hmm. Ed. Oh, cool. Uh, Basically, these these, um, ethereal or ephemeral magical orbs that look like eyeballs with all these sort of flashing, scintillating, smaller lights around them. Oh, And they basically just sort of float and look around in place. They're harmless, but through these eyes, Halaster can basically spy on different parts of the dungeon. He can make them appear anywhere he wants and disappear at any time. Oh, okay. And so chances are good that you'll encounter one of those. Pretty early. Pretty early on.
0: Right, because so of course he be watching yes, the front door, yes. essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: And... It's a magical effect, so that's sort of reminding you that, oh, we're in a wizard's home now. Right. Uh, tread carefully.
0: Yeah. Does he—so um, w- w- does he reside on the bottom level, or does he reside on a level undetermined to— So
2: his, his lair is on the bottom level. Okay. And it's level 23, and it's called the Mad Wizard's lair. Okay.
0: That's
2: good. Um, and it's a very weird place. Uh, it has not been explored previously, but is explored in Dungeon of the Mad Mage. No
0: other Undermountain product has written about it? That's right.
2: Oh. Uh, Well, aside from like a paragraph description or something to that effect. Interesting. This is where Hallister hangs out. Okay, let's flesh that out.
0: (laughs) That's a pretty fun task.
2: Yeah. There was a Dungeon of the Mad Mage is unusual. And we've talked, I think we might have touched on this before in that. Whereas um, what we usually do with Undermountain is give you a broad um, look at couple levels yeah this is a deep dive right. um, into all of the main dungeon levels it's not as
0: wide um, it's deep got it interesting so you, you'll yeah. you'll feel what it's like to go from level, exactly. to level to level so the
2: idea is you feel the descent yeah. and you feel the stakes going up as you go down interesting
0: yeah uh so um, sorry, sorry. he lives on the bottom, but he's watching yeah. all of the levels. Yeah. What and there, there to are to various
2: him? circumstances that will bring him to, like,
0: one of the higher levels. Okay. Um, and he can just teleport there. Yes,
2: he can He can appear anywhere at any time in the dungeon. Um, there's an interesting thing about Halaster. Um, in 3rd edition, we released a product called Expedition to Undermountain. Mm. It was a hardcover book. Yeah. And in that, we... Hi- uh, Hallister dies at the beginning of the adventure. Oh. And his consciousness is sort of scattered in shards throughout the dungeon. Um, what we have kind of settled on canonically is that even if he is destroyed, the dungeon reforms him. Oh. Very much like in in mechanically like a Lich's phylactery. Yeah. The dungeon is effectively his phylactery. Now he's not undead. He's a, he's a living, breathing guy Uh, but the dungeon recreates him
0: it's like the dungeon
2: can't live without him
0: does the dungeon have a personality in effect yes really yes how did that manifest itself like i mean was there was there just from the amount of magic that's been going it was i mean there
2: was there was sort of the the background thing the, the the discussion that we had in house was we don't want Hallister to die because he's so iconic to the dungeon and he's such an iconic character for the realms. Yeah. So how do we construct his world so that he can continue to live in it perpetually mm. until he is somehow finally in your campaign or whatever destroyed? Right. Um, and so uh, there is this idea that um, he magically has become so connected to the dungeon that when he dies... He's, like, getting absorbed into the dungeon mm-hmm. until its magic can recomposite his body. Interesting. Yeah. And we sort of, we say, yo, it's magic. Woo, he's back. <laughs> um, just the same way we do with a lich. We don't explain how a phylactery brings a lich back. We just, it we just, just say it does. Right. Um, and so, but in, as a sort of added element to this, as we were going through the lore about Halaster and his seven original apprentices. Yeah one of his apprentices did stand out as particularly interesting in terms of her relationship mm. with Halaster. And we decided that for Dungeon of the Mad Mage, she was going to be um, a presence on the character's side. Mm. And without getting... T- we'll talk a-, a little bit more about the Seven later on.
0: Yeah, because I... It, and it, what it, happened
2: to them. Uh, but uh, in, in, in Dungeon of the Mad Mage if the characters go too far down too quickly to the point where they're getting into danger, she, um, this, this apprentice, helps them sort of, uh, makes them aware of the, the potential danger that they're getting into and urges them to be cautious. Got it. Uh, so she's not, she's not throwing down with Hallister, Right. But she is uh, not on his side.
0: Interesting. What, um, all right, so uh, there's a lot here. Uh, We're going to have to unpack it once everybody gets done to the Mad Mage uh, and all the work you've been doing on there. But what is the reason for Undermountain to exist uh, uh, in in the world? Like, why is it still here and why why is Halster? That's
2: a very good question. So it exists as a relic of the past. So we say that one of the hallmarks of the Forgotten Realms campaign setting is this discovery of history, that the Forgotten Realms are only forgotten until you find them mm. and they are remembered all of a sudden. Right. And so part of the experience, I think, of going through the Forgotten Realms is discovering um, the remnants of those who have gone before Uh, There's probably a bit of an allegory or message there about, you know, every empire falls, every kingdom disintegrates. It's only a matter of how and when. And so there's a cautionary tale to be told about visiting these ruins and finding out what happened to the people who used to live here. And so I think Undermountain is like that. It is a realm that is full of clues about what was here before. Right. So you, as you go down, you get more pieces to the puzzle about who were the Malerican dwarves, who was their king who led them here, and how, you know, you know, how did they live? You know, the drow who moved in here before, there's remnants of their culture here as well. Right. As well um, as the duergar. Exactly. Yeah, so... It, it's re- and there are other things, too, little, little bits. Um, for instance, the third level of Undermountain is called the Sargoth level because there's an underground river called the Sargoth that flows through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a relic that you can find on that level that is a piece of another lost kingdom oh. uh, that the dwarves basically absconded with. And so if you find that, suddenly it's like, oh, here's this other relic of the past. What's this about? Hmm. Um, and so you can learn more about it and um, sort of fall down that rabbit hole um, into uh, to gain information about or knowledge of
0: yet another forgotten realm. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. So it's almost like this this kaleidoscope of, of – the history of the Forgotten Realms, but exactly. just in one place. Yes. And with this dark presence. Exactly. That's, you know, all, and then, all
2: and then well. um, in terms of just structure, Undermountain just reinforces one of the key um, locational elements of our game, which is dungeons. Yeah. Um, and it, it's sort of nice to remind people that dungeons are a playground for adventure and a lot of fun stuff can happen down there.
0: Right. We did dragons. Yes, with Dragon Heist. Yes. Now and we got I, those
2: of you who have seen other Undermountain products, kind of know that Undermountain's configured in a very crazy way. It's um, the the adjective I like to use is gigaxian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you look at the the maps and you go, okay, no sane person would build a dungeon this way. This you know, twisted with all these chambers and weird bendy corridors and stuff like this. This. Defies logic, but uh, Undermountain is a throwback to classic dungeon adventuring, and by classic I mean these sort of sprawling margin-to-margin dungeon complexes Mm. full of interconnected rooms with doors and secret doors, and it's just like, okay, yeah. Right.
0: That's cool. Yeah, and this is actually uh, the way you described it makes sense why that would be. You know, even though it's yes. nonsensical, correct, you can understand yes. how it was built and how it was right. uh, evolved yes. over time.
2: Now, one of the challenges of a dungeon of this magnitude and a dungeon of this depth is you. It can get tedious mm-hmm. if you just deliver the same things all the time, which is why when we were developing this product, and we were looking at, uh, at doing every level. Yeah. in some detail. We wanted to look through the past lore and really kind of pick at what made each level stand out thematically. So in a way, each level of the dungeon is a dungeon ecology in and of itself with its own themes, its own tone, its own feel. So that as you go deeper down, you're not getting bored because you're constantly discovering that the dungeon's your expectations of the dungeon are changing. Interesting, as the dungeon
0: changes. And you teased, and this might be a good way to end. Uh, but you teased on Twitter a uh, one of the chapter opening images, right, of the a mind, mind player. player in a in kind pirate of garb. Yes, kind yes. of Victorian pirate garb. Exactly. And I don't think anybody thought they were going to encounter a character like that right. uh, in an under mountain. Yes,
2: yeah. I think I think it's safe to say that. Um, Undermountain will challenge your expectations about what you would expect to find in a dungeon. Yeah, part of it because of its age, and it's uh, part of it because of its pedigree. Part of it because halister is a strange bird, and he attracts he attracts strange things. Um, fascinating. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Well, we're going to delve into a bunch of the topics that we uh, kind of glossed over here, including the apprentices, as well as a little bit more on uh, some of the levels on future segments. But that's I think that's a pretty good overview. Um, if you would like to ask Chris Perkins uh, everything and then he won't tell you uh, the answers or at least maybe do it in a jokey way, how can people get in touch with you? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins Excellent. And uh, you can follow me at Greg Tito and I might be able to bug him to answer some questions. Uh, maybe on this here, Laura, you should know. Uh, speaking of which, if you have uh, suggestions for topics... Uh, that you are always wanted to learn more about that uh, we could flesh out in a conversation like this, please uh, let me know on Twitter and Chris uh, and uh, go ahead and use lore you should know uh, as a the suggestion topic on Twitter. That's a great way for us to get more um, ways to uh, talk about all this. So thank you very much and uh, we'll be back with more next week. That was a really good segment. I feel like I know more than I did before that played, and or I participated in recording it.
1: I agree. <laughs> I agree.
0: Yeah, there you go. It's, it's more gravitas.
1: Yes. I agree. Yes.
0: Oh, see.
1: I have to get my voice. You have voice. really good vocal talents there. I know. Well, because we're about to talk to Matt Mercer. That's right. We want to be like in the zone. Me, 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 me. My pigeon, my pigeon, <laughs> <laughs> my pigeon.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry.
1: Ernie, Ernie, <laughs> my pigeon. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be peed on by a. Li- no, I can't do that
3: one. No, you, you out had of
1: context, it. it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, but you did have like this huge range of like my pigeon. My pigeon. <laughs> like- There's
1: no way to do. I can only do a C three PO if I'm talking about underwear
0: it's, it's pretty, and
1: that's just going to take too long well, you to explain know,
0: that's, that's like a thing in impressions Like oh, you do. have like a, like, a, like a code like get gets you in right and like this is your like your phrase that gets you in oh. and that's yours is yeah
1: we have to we've got to find C-3PO underwear in its size they're way too small oh,
0: you're not out of practice because but
1: he won't, no he keeps wearing them because oh he loves gosh. the C because he's like mom, mom guess what I'm wearing today really like oh yeah, maybe but you're like, the see through is like, like faded. There's
0: like now uh, there's a stain. And- <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. There's a stain on my face. Is that why his arm is red? <laughs> oh, maybe we never
1: did find out. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> did we find
0: out? I don't think we did. Uh, but you know who we should ask Matthew Mercer and in Chris Burgess in this interview. <laughs> They're right behind us. i see. hiding behind my microphone. I <laughs> see dead No dead one shall know. see. Mr. Chris Perkins, as always, hello. Yay! And Matthew Mercer. Yay! Hello. Crashing your space today. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Just for Dragon Talk.
0: Yeah, that's the only reason I guess while up.
1: you're here, you could probably... Talk to Chris about stuff too. Yeah, I could do that. I guess. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. It's nice of you guys to have me out for the short yeah, of time. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> really appreciate it.
0: <laughs> it reminds me of uh, when you were here two, three years ago. Uh, it couldn't have been that long ago.
3: I think it was like two years ago. For I think so. Th- for, yeah, okay, <laughs> that was a long
2: time ago. <laughs>
0: for- <laughs> talking about uh, water was- deep dragon Heist. Yes. yes. Uh, so we're talking about that today too, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to go back in the uh, the way back machine uh, when you were here. <sighs> So long ago. It was. Um, yeah. So we wh- were in our
1: old space.
0: It,
3: right. We were. Uh, 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 we oh, you haven't seen
1: right. our new fancy space, have you?
3: Since then. since, since then? Uh, I, w- I was here last year oh. briefly. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I got to see it transition. Oh.
0: Right. Well, we were into the downstairs area, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. That was the transitionary phase. We're transitioning into the newer space now, which is great. Um, but yeah, this was a long time ago, is all w- what we're getting into. Uh, what uh, What is it like when, uh, Chris, you bring in folks like Matt to talk about adventures like Waterdeep Dragon? What
1: are you East? really talking about? Because you always say, like, I'm bringing so-and-so in to talk about such-and-such. Like, what is that?
2: What does it are actually talk talking about? about D&D. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's all I ever talk about, Shelley, is D&D. <laughs> 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 There's like nothing else I can talk about.
1: Is it like you talk about like, here's the story, here's the part I want so, you to work on, here's your homework, or is it just like, let's just brainstorm?
2: With a story like Dragon Heist, usually by the time we get organized enough to bring somebody in to chat with us, we have some idea of what the story is kind of, sort of going to be. Mm-hmm. At the very least... We probably have a name for it, and we know where it's going to take place. Um, With Dragon Heist, we we brought in two different um, consultants, and Matthew was the second. And made them
0: fight.
2: Right. (laughs) Pull Q. (laughs) Which we we hadn't done that before, sort of a two-stage consulting thing. But we were so far ahead in the schedule-wise that we could actually afford to do it. Wow. And... um, so the, the first consulting phase with Charlie Sanders was all about just, hey, we want to do a story in a city, but we're not really quite sure what that story is going to be. And then once we kind of cracked that nut and Charlie went off, um, several months later, we realized we want to bring in another consultant, which turned out to be Matthew, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to help us uh, slap some meat on the bones of the story and flesh out some things that we were either undecided on or um, – that we hadn't even had a chance to think about yet.
1: Oh. Do you know what those things are? Or is it like you don't know what you don't know until you start talking about
2: it? A little it? from column A, a little from column B. Some things I sort of knew and I wanted to actually just bounce off of Matt. And other things are like, what am I missing? What, right, w- yeah. W- w- what, have, what have we left on the table that I can't even see? Mm. And so hopefully the fresh eyes and the fresh perspective can unlock some story ideas that we just didn't even know were there. What it's was got,
0: it like from 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 your point of view? Uh,
3: well, I mean, originally it was great because it felt like I got to do a, uh, a a college course on the history of Waterdeep, taught by Chris Perkins. Mm. So, like the, the first the first part of it was sitting in a in a boardroom with a, a whiteboard and having Chris be like, "All right, so this is the structure of the Masked Lords." He does and this does your voice, and it too. was <laughs> well, I, pr- I practice oh, a yes, lot. When I, yes. <laughs> when he's not around, thanks for pointing it out. Job. <laughs> it's, not, it's just a dungeon master tone. We've all kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. we, that's we the shared first, first rule to being a good dungeon master: get the tone, get the tone exactly, exactly. immersion, already. guys. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it was, it was really great to kind of just sit there like a kid, just watching as Chris just weaves the tale of Waterdeep's, you know, uh, political structure and history. And then once we had that laid out and I still have the pictures on my phone of like the elaborate lines connecting all the oh, different, yeah. oh, cool. uh, factions and everything. So for me, it was great to have the refresher. And then, then it was that part of them going, all right, so what, what are you, what do you want to do? What are your ideas? And I was like, oh, that's right. I'm here for <laughs> a reason. And like so on the spot, you had a... Well, when, you know, they 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 got me in that direction, but it was it was a huge honor for one thing to be to be brought in to to help out with this, you know. My whole life has been very much geared around Dungeons and Dragons as uh, a huge creative inspiration for me. So to even have any sort of uh, creative input on any stage is you know that that, that, was, that was incredible for me. So I was I was very very honored and touched by it. And then we when we got into the the, the meat of of our discussions, which dealt with like the modular villains and um, developing their interests and, and 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 reasons and and goals as part of this, this Dragon Heist story. Uh, it was just such a cool space. Like like any good creative writer's room, you're all sitting there and you're all writing notes on the boards feverishly and someone has an idea and then you build off that idea and then you're like, oh, that doesn't work out because of this. And then you problem solve that and come out with this idea and that fixes this problem and that connects with here and that inspires this element and you end up looking like a bunch of conspiracy theorists <laughs> like in a crazy closet somewhere, you know, just like sweating... Like Charlie from, uh, like Charlie Day from, from uh, It's Always Sunny. It's Always Sunny. Just yeah. like, goes, no! See, and then like, this guy, you look absolutely <laughs> insane. But at the end of the day, it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. We had to bring in down a lot of red yarn from uh, office from, yeah, exactly. oh, yeah. yeah. supplies to <laughs> connect all the dots. Well, especially with the modular yeah. aspect of this.
2: Oh, absolutely. No t- and that's the other thing, too, is um, every time we do this kind of thing, it's always different. Because you're bringing different personalities. But also the story is completely different. uh, None of the stories we've done really kind of follow a template. Here we have urban-based adventure, relatively low level compared to some of our other stories, Mm -hmm. and four villains that you choose one of, five villains technically, but four each tied to a season. um, And that sort of guides the threats. We're very, very different from, say, I don't know, Curse of Strahd, where, okay, that story is we're going to take an old adventure and update it, and then kind of build around it to show you a little bit more of the domain of Barovia. But all of our story discussions with Tracy Hickman on mm. that story mostly focused on just talking about Strahd as the one singular threat. How everything in the story, no matter how seemingly insignificant, how everything in that story has to tie back into Strahd somehow. So everything is revolving around this one face. We didn't have those discussions on Dragon Heist because... We had several villains, each operating independently, within the same playground, knowing that the DMs would choose one over the others. Um, it's it's just a different kind of puzzle
0: to figure out. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many different moving parts. Uh, I liked that this just showed a breadth of here's here's a toolbox that DMs can use. Yeah, uh,
2: we we generally like toolbox adventures, and our DMs seem to as well because they're surprisingly customizable. Yeah. Which is an an endearing trait for an adventure,
0: mm-hmm. I think.
2: Every DM I don't know too many DMs who run adventures exactly as published. They always like to put their own flourishes on things. Yeah. And so I think that and the toolbox nature means that no matter each time you play it, you're probably going to get a different result because characters are going to make different choices, they're going to choose fixate on different things. Mm-hmm. And so really the trick with this adventure and a lot of our other toolbox adventures is just giving DM so many toys to play with <laughs> that they're just – they never run out of
0: stuff to enjoy. Do you guys uh, remember what some of the, the the discoveries were during those meetings when, when you were figuring out, oh, this, the, this, this thing that made it in through to the book?
3: I remember one of the very first discussions we had dealt with uh, – Manchun as, as a villain. Mm-hmm. And like the idea was to kind of build it as a mystery that, you know, they don't quite know who to trust and where to go. And then eventually it would be revealed that Manchun was, you know, the this this driving evil force behind it. And uh, as we began to talk about it, it became really quick to see that, well, it's hard to have a mystery story if the villain is part of the... M- the hidden villain is part of the marketing push. Mm. (laughs) Um, And it's easy to spoil, in which case, you know, you have, you know, 16, 20, 30 hours of gameplay that essentially the mystery can be ruined by a Reddit post. And so... That that kind of went into the discussion of the the modular villains. You know what were going to be secondary players. You guys wanted to then bring forward as other possible antagonistic forces, and that kind of really ramped up the discussion on. Well, if that's the case, what each what about each of these villains can make them the major antagonist? What about them could make them as interesting and and uh, you know easy to invest in them as an antagonist than the others? And kind of it began this. The next few days were then having each of these factions up on the board and then outlining their personality traits, outlining their you know various fears and worries, outlining their contacts and what factions they might be involved with and what which ones they're against and what parts of the city would be their domain and it was mm. just kind of then focusing in on what made each of these unique, what made what about them made them a different type of game when you ran it, you know what was more swashbuckling versus mm-hmm. what was more <laughs> mafioso, yeah. what was you know outlining all those different themes and and fleshing them out from that point that is super cool
0: do
1: you guys ever think about recording these sessions (laughs) like just having a camera in the corner don't even think about it and then like three days later just go through that like eventually like i would love an edited version of what happens (laughs) in these rooms that's pretty
3: interesting Uh,
2: we we have uh on numerous occasions we have uh but we never had the dedicated resources to actually uh, manage it and uh, no, that's very, and, and very sound professional.
0: Very professional. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I, think, I think it was actually even after you had your conversation yeah. with Matt that I, that uh, maybe it was Richard Witters who came to me and was like, we should just tape all these and yeah. put them I up on the love. web and let people show them, you know, right? I mean, we did actually have Adam
2: tape a few, but then I think we lost the recording. So <laughs> the
1: lost have, recording. We don't have any
2: system it to, to curate this it's content. Amazing. So, But you're right. It's a, it would be amazing content. And I think a lot of people would be um, – astonished by just how unproductive a lot of these meetings
1: are. <laughs> <laughs> but when you find that nugget, when you see like that rabbit hole and you all start to go down it, That's it's fun. amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. been in rooms with game designers talking about games. Mm-hmm. Like when we had our first meetings about Betrayal Legacy and how Rob Davia was like this should be the origin story of the house and it was like whoop, rabbit hole and like Four designers jumped in it, and they were like blah, 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 talking, but it was like two hours, and I just sat there like, "This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Nobody's brain works like this, other than like game designers."
3: It's a really unique place to go because it's 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 both narrative interest and in trying to build a story but also having to build the engines and the systems that can facilitate yeah. it for a person who is not in that room. right? And that's one yes. of the most interesting facets of game design is you can create a fun story, you can create a cool system, you can design everything in that pocket, but then you have to be able to hand it to somebody who's never yeah. heard yes. of it and you, have them then understand. Then you
2: need to create the user interface, yeah. right? Um, and that's a whole other challenge. And, like,
1: all the math. like there, And then there's all, like, the, like, Probabilities and the math, and like how many times this will happen, and what scenario, and how do you fix it, and blah 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 blah. And like it's like this is a game that somebody gets and opens yeah. and starts to play, yeah. and they have no idea like the sweat
3: yeah. <laughs> and oh, the yeah.
1: red yarn that went yeah. in behind the scenes for this. I'm going to be i want to
3: be honest. Like after we had our meeting for developing kind of the the villains and the modular aspects of Dragon Heist, um, we all went to our own stuff, and we were busy for the next year or so. And I wasn't sure if any of it was going to make it in the book. And if <laughs> I was literally like, That's, this is kind of a really complicated system to introduce into a role-playing game story comparison to the things you guys had released. And I felt like maybe I was, you know, our conversations were, were too far. <laughs> we're too far. And like, like, like you guys said, all right, thanks, Matt. Send me back to LA. And we're like, Oh, we can't use any of it. <laughs> it, was, it was a really it was cool, cool conversation. complete waste of time. We don't even have the content from
0: that conversation. The Adam,
1: recordings are lost. Adam, yes. lose those recordings.
0: <laughs> I,
3: I, oh, that's <laughs> what happens. They're, yeah, lost. It's never happened. Like, I, I legitimately began to think, like, well, you know, just prepare yourself. As with any consulting gig, you never know what, what contribution is going to make it in the book. And it wasn't until right before the stream of many eyes when I finally got sent some of the early uh, Bibles of like you know the, the art and the design of the story that it confirmed that it made it in there and I was like oh I did contribute <laughs> <laughs> I, I oh was God, so
0: cool. <laughs> that's me that's me I'm just there.
3: I'm i and in, in I come from LA and entertainment you're used to any creative endeavor like cool well, thank you for that we might use some of it and you know I've I've shot films and. TV stuff before we're in cutting room floor. Yeah. So you just you anticipate possibly, if you're lucky, having some involvement in the final product. Mm-hmm. So that was my mindset during that whole period of production where I didn't hear anything. I was like, well, I hope I, hope I didn't biff it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, now now you have the finished product in your hands. you can be yeah. like,
0: oh, yeah, this is. Uh, I can see the threads of what we talked about that day.
3: It, it was actually really surreal getting the book and looking at it. Like just to have my name in there. That like, is that's, pretty cool. That, Not just your name. What That was crazy. What? <laughs> that was crazy. There's there's a section in the book, like for me it was, when I got it, I remember uh, it was late night, it had come in and uh, me and my wife Marcia sat down and I opened the book and I was like, oh my God, there's my name in the credits of a D&D book. This is one of my like most surreal life moments. Mm-hmm. And then I cool. start going through it and looking at things and like, oh, there's just like this cool full page spread of the... Uh, of the awning Portal. Portal and like all oh, this cool art of all these characters that are in there and it's always oh there's some characters from Force Grey in there that we DM that's cool and and, oh, there's this one... I think it's like page 20. Page 20? Okay, I passed I passed it. <laughs> that's where I was like, I'm oh, bad. I think it's but gone too far. I did, I did. There it is. And then over there in the small <gasps> oh, corner yeah. is a little Matt Mercer just chilling <laughs> there in the yawning portal reading a book. And I was like, no.
1: <laughs> you didn't tell him that that was going to be <laughs> <No>. in there? <laughs> I had no idea. You yeah, left that, that
2: so to cool. your chest the whole time? Yeah, I did. That's pretty good. I can, and- one thing I can do is keep a secret.
3: <laughs> yeah, you uh, can. And, yeah. And, and, and so I looked at it I was like, No. Nah. No, and then it had a key on the back of the page. In the back of the key, it says oh Matthew God. Mercer is the last <laughs> one on the key. And I legitimately, <laughs> legitimately cried. I was like, to say, that makes me
1: feel like I'd want to cry. It, it
3: was a really like, genuinely emotional moment. And, the the uh, best
2: part is, is that it canonically works. Yeah. Because I don't know whether you know this or not, but the Forgotten Realms is in the same multiverse as Earth. Interesting. We have mentioned a few times how Ed Greenwood uh, would
0: write these articles.
2: Ed Greenwood wrote articles that had Elminster coming to Ed Greenwood's house in Canada (laughs) and having conversations in his kitchen with Mordenkainen, right? With Mordenkainen. Whoa! Which basically created this, uh, you know, space manifold (laughs) uh, (laughs) that allows us to import real world figures into our D and D world settings. So it would be perfectly possible for you, Matt, to visit the actual Yawning Portal. Wow. The real, Matt. Uh,
3: Man, be be kind with your stat blocks, DMs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Mastermind. uh, Decent uh, constitution. Generally, lower dexterity. (laughs) I'm a clumsy oaf.
1: We basically have... (laughs) The Forgotten Realms, because Ed Greenwood had imaginary friends yes. when he was a child.
3: Right. To be fair, most of us are having this conversation now because we had imaginary <laughs> friends. Yeah. Yeah. True, true. And wanted to write stories around. Them. Well, that's <laughs> what's so with the
1: glasses. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: You know, uh, <laughs> in talking to my kids, and every single time they want to play with each other, it's always like, "Hey, do you want to play a game with me?" And the game is always pretend. They're yes. not. They're not really playing a designed game it's always just this but they say it the same way that we say like oh i'm preparing for my game tonight you know it's the exact same thing and i am I, always struck by that and it's it's very similar it's just like oh yeah now that is the reality that we've all kind of assumed uh, together when we're when we're sitting down and, and being a part of this community
1: and kids are amazing world. at rules yeah that they're just like no no this is the rule no, now, now we're going to add this to it too, and now this is the game, and, it's and that's like, just like
0: the conversation oh. you guys were having. Yeah, it's like uh, all the
1: threads <laughs> and the rabbit
3: holes. Yeah,
1: you guys are like five year olds.
3: They yeah. do it too. <laughs> essentially. Nice.
1: Isn't it weird though to think like this is his job? Yes, yeah. Perkins. This is what he does.
3: Yeah, it's surreal, and but yeah. but it's, it's also somebody's like, job. It has to be, and then there are, that's one of the yeah. curious things I find about but facets of entertainment. The more I learn about it, is. There's people out there that have worked hard to get to positions that you didn't think were possible. Yes. Gi- like careers. Yeah. And at first glance, you're like, oh, well, you're lucky. But then you go and you can see their body of work and their path to get there. And like so much hard work gets to that point mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, no, you just earned it and you found the path to get there. But it's just surreal to think that that, like you said, it's somebody's job it's somebody's to job. handle that.
1: Well, right? this guy was trying to intern at Dragon Magazine when he was, like, eight. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. the yeah. path for you is very clear.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it, <laughs> it wasn't at the time. <laughs> I honestly but, didn't know what I was doing, but I was pretty laser-focused that I wanted to be involved with D&D somehow. And now look. And now look. And now look. Look at all the damage I can do. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and Matt, did you have a similar, uh, you, know, you said you, you know, being in a D&D book was, a, was an honor. Like, that was something you were always thinking about, right?
3: Honestly, not necessarily
0: working on D and D, but just you know that that idea.
3: The, the idea of of contributing a uh, any element to a story was something that I had never considered because I never thought it a possibility. If mm-hmm. That makes sense. D and D for me was always a personal outlet for me and my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was I wasn't creating modules, I wasn't writing things for other people to consume because honestly, a lot of the time growing up, I didn't know a lot of other people that were interested in the things that I was. You know, yeah. I was one of those kids who I was into D and D handful of their friends I managed to drag into it or met other people, then we'd be like, wait, did you say Dungeons and Dragons? Do you play? Oh, okay. okay we'll swap numbers here. We'll talk about this. Like it felt like this kind of weird underground thing even as an adult. And so the way it shifted so heavily in recent years and to be this kind of new renaissance, this this ever growing community of of being open and proud about, you know, being a dungeon master and being a player in these games. Um, that was not anything I could have fathomed back then. So my stories were very personal they were my gifts to my players and they were my creative outlets to give me a space to practice being a weird kid that did silly voices mm-hmm. and you know act when i didn't so even didn't then, get a character in theater the
1: voices know? were even then
3: oh yeah no this is all a focus for my psychosis did you so. ever no, write no,
2: did you ever like write like a false little adventure with like create a cover and put maps inside and sort of created as a thing as an actual object. I actually
3: never have. Oh, okay. it was, it's all been chicken scratch for me. Interesting. Yeah. Did I've, you?
2: I totally did. No, I, I like it that, that Was a leading question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have those? Sadly no. Oh. I know it's hard for You could sell those to Alex I, Kammer I, for
1: a million dollars.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's honestly probably my only regret in life is I didn't keep any of the content that I created like between the ages of 10 and 16 because I was putting out
0: I mean I was 256 pages but, yeah. you know, put to shame <laughs> everybody
2: else had you know boyfriends and girlfriends I had my D&D modules that I was creating with uh, construction paper covers I did the artwork on the fronts and the wow, backs of these modules I glued the maps on the inside covers I oh, made why I, yeah. have
0: these? I, I'm, I'm just crying on the inside I love Charlie. this so much this I is so know. great and oh my god yeah. Did any of the ideas that you had then, like, make it into future no, things? Do you remember terrible. any of it? Do you remember <laughs> <No>. any
1: <anything>? of <laughs> in, in
0: hindsight, they were not great. <laughs> like, Chris
1: Perkins now, would you, like, just edit the crap out of Chris Perkins then? Just ruin yeah. that kid. Just I, crush I, his yeah. dreams.
2: Yeah. Like, you don't have a future. What is this?
0: <laughs> this <laughs> is a map? <laughs>
2: You've
3: yeah,
0: got no future. So, so many people think about, think about going back in time to talk to their younger <laughs> selves. You're like, it'll, it'll get better, buddy. It's fine, but no. Keep your better. day job, kid. Don't <laughs> give up
1: teaching. Um,
2: yeah, all you've uh,
1: got is nice handwriting. Uh, all,
2: yeah, pretty much. And so <laughs> it's legible. I will yeah. give it that. <laughs> I, I was I was so good with, with handwriting and covers that I actually could duplicate Helvetica. With my, oh my hand, it was, it was really bad. Um, so, that's really good. That's but amazing. I wish I had those because there were. A do- I did must have done dozens of them. These these modules, and not just names? for D anD D, but also for other games as well. Like I made Star Frontiers modules and oh, no Top way. Secret modules. Oh, and no way. Cool. All kinds of crazy crap. Yeah, out of folders and stuff. To be. And I don't have any of it. It makes me so sad. Oh, man. Because one of them my house in
0: Bermuda. Well, one of them was called Curse of Strahd. Another <laughs> one was uh, no, Dragon yeah, No, no, no. <laughs> Nothing like that. We were all cribbing your notes. <laughs> from Nothing like that. And
2: yeah. actually, while we're talking, I was trying to think if I could even remember a title of one of those old adventures. Oh, you have to. And I can't. I can't remember. I remember
1: my old poetry from middle school. You
0: do? Can you recite mm-hmm. it now?
1: I think I have. Haven't I done this Spoken word for you. You might have actually. This one's called (laughs) the
3: sea. (laughs) Go on.
1: I took a walk down by the sea. No one was there, only me.
3: (laughs) Profound. You can't even get it out.
1: (laughs) So good. Oh man, I have my diary from when I was ten. That is gold. Oh man, I can only. Why don't boys like me? (laughs) <laughs> I was like, "Oh, Shelly oh, ten. 10-year-old Shelly. It yeah. doesn't no. get." Give- <laughs> You're an amateur. You'll never get a, You'll never get a boyfriend. <laughs> S-
2: speaking of poetry, um I was addicted to the old adventure. So um Dragon Heist and all the other all the other adventures written over the years really are for me a reflection of my love just for the genre of adventure writing, mm. which is, you know, not a major genre, a literary genre or anything like that. It's a very I mean, niche kind it of. It will be. It will be, but it's a very it's a very, been on it's the a very niche. List. It has so
1: true. It's legit
0: um, for so. nonfiction. What? Yeah. Yeah. Nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But it's a really good story.
2: But, but I have a great love for and fondness of those really old modules that sort of defined. For a lot of people back in first edition, what a d and adventure was. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned my craft basically through imitation, by imitating them as closely as possible. And I can't imagine I'd be here if those hadn't pioneered the style and the way that we actually write adventures. Yeah. And so um, I, think, I think imitation is the highest form of flattery. And I still feel like I'm imitating um, to a large extent, even with the new story.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said about uh, uh, yeah. We dress it up better now. Yeah, than we taking used to, but. taking the core of what was pioneered back then, and then <laughs> you know, uh, uh, bringing it up to you know current standards and making yes. it feel like it's there. Well, it,
2: well, one of the casualties in talking about poetry, one of the casualties of having absorbed all those old adventures is I've still got some poetry from those adventures lodged in my brain. You do? Yes. Like for instance, in um, module S two, White Plume Mountain. Oh, you yes. are set off on a mission to retrieve three lost magic items by a poem. Hmm. And I still have that entire poem stuck in my goddamn wow.
3: head. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm pretty sure I have a poem written somewhere from a, a, a puzzle that I did back uh, like 20 years ago. where it was, it was a puzzle where you had all these different pieces of stone that were all kind of variations of triangles and different angular shapes that fit into a perfect square but you could also fit them into a larger square.
0: Mm. Mm.
3: And the idea with the puzzle was you had to take the pieces and make it into a, from the larger square into the smaller square. And you're like, how does that doesn't make any sense? And it took my party, like, I think... An hour and a thirty minutes. That was when I realized maybe some puzzles don't work as well right. in a role playing game.
2: <laughs> we're never playing this D game again. Yeah.
3: They were like they were really excited for about ten minutes, and they were like, "No, this no, is yeah. this no, was yeah. a terrible idea, man. Yeah. Can we just can we just cast My something on this? My mom's gonna
1: be here in five yeah. minutes. <laughs> can, like, can you just give us the answer?
3: But like but 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 the clues to it were like this this dwarven poem that spoke of like ancient dwarven kings of four fortresses." but their fortresses got smaller as part of their lands so I was try- trying to tell them how to solve uh, the puzzle and part uh, of it, it and I was is. so proud of it and none of them got it oh, and it's bro. purely my fault for not being very like clear <laughs> with the message and it was a completely failed puzzle You're the
2: clues are right there yeah
3: well you know how it is that that, that, that <laughs> moment for a dm is like okay no you want know just roll an intelligence check just just in case you get some an idea A four. Okay. All right. A four. Um, You know, I'm just going to get a sandwich. You guys keep going.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's a square. Three trolls show up. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> These uncultured gits can't understand my puzzles.
0: <laughs> Am I that I'll esoteric? <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's just a bad puzzle. It's just a really bad puzzle. It's my fault. <laughs> that, puzzles are tough, and yeah. that's why
0: when uh, we were doing the Stream any eyes, I was like, there's no way uh, this isn't going to work unless someone who just was well-versed at puzzles wasn't going to bring that to life, right? And mm-hmm. Elisa uh, Teague just did an amazing job of of, of making sure that they were just hard enough to keep the tension going but then yeah. they could get solved in the time limit that we had I, and that is super
3: hard. I will say we're also benefiting from the era of the escape room. Yes, mm. where now people, especially adults have now gotten back into being like, "Oh, you know, I can problem solving in a puzzle atmosphere with a with a timed, you know, element to it." The people who are now starting to or in yeah. generally a gamer type genre are a little more open to that idea. Fifteen years ago, not so much. When a puzzle came up in a D&D game, they, uh, you'd hear the collective sigh. Like, <sighs> I'm like, what? I spent like four <laughs> hours building this for you guys. You're going to enjoy it. it. This yeah. advances the plot. Stand this puzzle <laughs> This the advances face. the puzzle, true.
0: <laughs> 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 you're not going to get I any cast, plot unless That's you right. finish this. I this
2: cast Magic it. Missile on this puzzle.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: it bounces back, <laughs> you're
0: dead.
2: Can't actually do that, Shelly, because Magic Missile targets a creature and a puzzle's not a creature.
1: <laughs> 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 I...
0: <laughs> I think you just got served. I did. Oh yeah. well, nice. uh, So it was awesome seeing you at the stream of many eyes. I thought uh, yeah, uh, the uh, uh, the games that you ra- the game that you ran was amazing and uh, super fun. It and was I-
3: fun. It was fun for a couple reasons because when, when I was told it was going to be opening the uh, like the first stream game, I was like, oh, okay. How do we kick this off when we're going into this kind of urban environment? And I knew the next day there was going to be the the masquerade kind of pseudo. LARP experience that was happening mm-hmm. on Saturday. So I wrote a story that was kind of a prelude to that. Mm-hmm. And I know I had, I had, uh, you know, Deb, I had uh, uh, Matt Lillard, I had uh, Joe Manganello. Joe's one of my, f- my favorite <laughs> players because he is just such an, uh, a, a, an archetype yeah. of, of heroic player that just wants to get in there and, and muck things up yeah. and, and just destroy. And oh, it's awesome. I love playing with him. And so I wanted to think what could be the most subversive way. To start this with with a character like him, I know he's playing a minotaur, a minotaur brute with like the uh, the UA brute class that was out there. I'm gonna make it a dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it a dinner party where they're trying to extract information and not kill the dude. <laughs> And it still eventually went to blows because that was, was going to happen. Um,
2: and they're serving meatloaf.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, so we ended up, yeah, you. It, was, it was one of those ways where I, was, how, can I how can I make this different in, from what was expected and kind of subvert the player's expectations uh, and and such? We got to have uh, Deborah's character, who's a, a great barbarian who was in Force Grey, to dip a minotaur as part of a, a dancing sequence at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of wonderful, weird moments out of that game that I was pretty happy with. It's pretty sweet.
0: Yeah. I love that it was, I think it was the perfect way to go from like the, the adventure of Tomb of Annihilation that was so much about jungles and, and, and you know, the lost gods and, and you know, all this kind of swashbuckling
3: adventure to a dinner party. Yeah. And Just make it a little different. Switch it up. Mm-hmm. That was my first time I, I had a chance to play with Kate. Yes. Actually. Yeah. yeah. We, we've been talking online, and, and especially since she started working here, we kept like just missing each other at events. And mm-hmm. so, the, literally, the first time we had a chance to meet in person it was like, Hi, let me look at your character. Oh, wow. We're playing in 10 minutes. And uh, I, think, I think that's probably the best way you can meet somebody is yeah, that's pretty cool. go, to, go to the table with the character and then role play for a couple hours and then be mm-hmm. like, So, what. How are you? Right. (laughs) Nice to meet you. (laughs) I feel like
0: I have this intimate knowledge with you, just of how you played your character in the last two hours. Yeah, man. Coincidentally, that's
2: the same way I first met Kate. Oh, really? Yes. I had never uh, met her until she came in to do the Make-A-Wish game oh. this is before she was a Wizards employee she that's came right. in with As a Patrick Rothfuss of the team. and the Penny Arcade guys mm-hmm. to participate in our Make-A-Wish game with uh, Mr. Nolan Whale that's super cool oh awesome. no way I didn't so, know she was part of that yeah she was so volunteered her time very generously
0: and
1: that's awesome yeah
0: and the rest is history. And yeah, but she <laughs> did. She was amazing that whole weekend. I think we counted up. She was the one who was on camera the most over the the mm. entire weekend. I love it. Yeah, from playing in your game, she was on. Uh, uh, she did the the off the table stuff.
3: Uh, yeah, fantastic. And Deb knocked it out of the park too. Oh, like, so she did. I remember years ago when when we had just found out that that uh, Deborah and Wall we're talking about um, was a huge D and D fan. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man, we should we should be interested on. Coming in a guest on Critical Role, like uh, Sam Riegel, one of our players' wife had shot a a, a thing with her and we could contact her, and so she asked her, and she was like, response was very sweet. It was like, thank you, but I Dungeons and Dragons on the internet scares me. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's something very personal to me, yeah. and I don't right. I don't yeah. know if I want to share sure. that on a face where that it's you know libel going to be torn apart. Yeah, and I totally get it. Totally get it. So I know for her to be part of even just. Force Grey, the season that she was on, was a big kind of step yep. into mm-hmm. kind of allowing that vulnerability out in a public floor. And then to run a game uh, during that stream yeah, was, that was, was another huge, huge, huge step. What a game. And she did such yeah. a great job. Yeah, yeah nailed it. I was in. so happy.
0: My wife, who is not a you know huge uh, 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 D&D player, not really in the culture at all, she was in the audience for that. And she was like, "That I didn't know that's what D&D could be like. Yeah. And she she was feeling. She was talking about it like weeks afterwards. Yeah. I mean like I'm still thinking about what happened in that game. And I'm thinking specifically of the moment <laughs> where uh, and, and Deb's trying to, to to round it out really quickly. But then she's like, "And it's her 13th birthday." And I you audibly
3: go, <laughs> oh. "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah." It's it's one of those moments. Like like I can play it off like, "Yeah, well my my in in game character didn't know, but you know I knew all the whole time." No, I'd like. Sh- I was so focused on the things that were right in front of my character, that information that I should have picked up much earlier, just completely bypassed me, <laughs> And it wasn't until that moment that it was like the memento sequence where all of a sudden all memories clicked,. <laughs> Oh,
0: come <laughs> on, Matt. What's wrong with you? Which is so it was, it was amazing that she could elicit great. that in someone who, you know, all of you guys at the players were, were, were expert yeah, players, man. right? To be able to get that was, uh, yeah. I, I want, I want you know, everyone I keep pointing to, even folks who don't have any uh, knowledge of Dungeons & Dragons or anything like that, watch that game because that is uh, the perfect gateway drug.
3: Yeah, it's a great example of what it can be and an example of of, you know, pretty much anybody... Can come to the table and make a great game, no matter how nervous they might be. That's the thing. Right. She was super nervous before going on there, understandably. Yeah. And people ask me all the time, you know, aren't you nervous running the game every week or doing all these streams? I'm like, yes, yes. It never goes away. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it and does. it's okay to be nervous, you know. Especially people, it's their first game, not stream, just at home. They're just like, I. How do you deal with this, man? Like, yeah. You just kind of learn, they soak it up. Yeah. yeah,
1: but that's you brought that up because she said it's very personal for me, and D and D on the internet scares me. So how? How was it for you when, I mean, it it sounds like it's very personal for you, too. It is,
3: and it it was. Part of our, because it wasn't our idea originally to stream. We were approached by Felicia Day to do it on Geek and Sundry when she'd heard about it. And we had a lot of long conversations, like, this would be really cool for these reasons, but also this is our personal home game. And if if I've learned anything in in geek circuits over the years on the internet is... um, Things can get hated very quickly if it's not exactly as expected or, you know, if people, people, especially the history of, of tabletop gaming, unfortunately, comes with some connotations of, like, gatekeeping and, and yeah. people not being as, as welcoming. That's changed dramatically in recent years, thankfully. Um, and it's going in a much better direction. But for those reasons, we were very reticent to kind of open ourselves up to this thing that we all loved as friends at home. And uh, um,
2: why poison a good thing, right? right? Kind
3: of, we were, and that's why we said we'll do this for a few weeks, you know, we'll see if it goes anywhere. If it gets really bad and we're uncomfortable with it, we'll just go back home. And really genuinely surprised and excited to see that the, the response was so positive and the <clears> community <throat> that grew around it. Um, and yeah, it was, it, we were really happy to see that it wasn't as it wasn't this horrible, horrible flaming wreck yeah. we were expecting it to be, <laughs> and uh. Yeah, it's it's still nerve-wracking. It's still a lot. I remember the new campaign, uh, the very first episode that we streamed back in January. Mm-hmm. We specifically were avoiding or trying to avoid any numbers of people that were watching it because some of the players were really nervous about, oh, my God, I hope they don't hate my character. I hope it's fun. I hope it, I hope we have a good time. You know, We haven't done a new campaign like this together in, in five years. Let's go ahead and do it. And then five minutes out, someone just throws out, all right, guys, well, I guess across all platforms, we're like over 100,000 live viewers. <gasps> And you watch the entire table just turn pale. Oh my
2: gosh.
3: (laughs) I was like, okay, guys, um, let's rally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and do this. Live like,
1: yeah. viewers? Yeah. Over a 100,000. It was crazy.
0: I've got stole. like Wembley Stadium watching you. right? Everybody at like, the same moment
2: thinking, is this the accent that I really want for
0: my character? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> and even some of those shifted a few episodes into the campaign. They, was right.
0: It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys had the, the, the benefit of having a year and a half under your belts before going live, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that you know, your characters were cemented exactly. well, by that point. So to go
3: in fresh with the expectation mm-hmm. of a community that had been through the whole previous campaign, that was a big issue. All the it's players tough. were having kind of an existential crisis of like, this character, I'm excited to play, but what if what if they don't like it? And the conversation kept coming down to, this isn't about the audience. Yeah. I know you're worrying about that, but this is yeah. about you. Are you having fun? That's all that matters. And they might like it, they might not. But this is inherently, it's still the core, our game, and we're playing this as friends. This is our time every week to kind of <laughs> check in and be creative and, right. and hang out in a space that we get to do this. Yeah. And it's that ontis- authenticity and personality that drives
0: all kind of creative endeavors, really. I mean, I think, I think, so, I think yeah. people in bands, yeah. people in, in, in the theater, you know, they're still always thinking of those same doubts, those same like, is this going to be good? Is this going to be worthwhile for people to watch? But it, ultimately it just comes from, are you personally invested in this project or yeah. in this thing? Yeah. And then that, you know, dedication or commitment comes through.
3: I, I think so, too. I hope so, anyway. I think as a
2: storyteller, too, in, in the role of the DM, at least for me, the per- the people that I am creating the story for are the players. Right. Other people can watch and participate in the story in various different ways. But for for me as a DM, when I sit down to decide what I'm going to do in a given session, it's always, is this going to make my my players just really crackle with glee
3: yeah but <laughs> which is one of the early discussions we had with Twitch as a format mm-hmm. was there's all these interactive elements you can add to it and the audience can participate and adjust and <clears throat> and the people that were helming the Geek and Sundry Twitch stream at the time were very much like let's find how many ways we can you know have the audience be able to change manipulate and affect it and I kept being I, I kept putting my foot down and saying this isn't for them this is for us and they're allowed to watch if they right. want to um, and that's been kind of a hardline rule from from the beginning. That uh, the the minute that it no longer becomes fun for us and becomes our thing as friends, then it's not worth doing. Yeah. And um, you know there there are streams out there that do a great job with it. I'm not yeah. that's not knocking that by any means. And and uh, but just for us and for our reasons yeah. of doing it, it, it for that similar reason, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't ever creating a game for an audience. You know, I wanted to create it for the players and and for my friends.
0: Yeah, they're the best audience. Right. I mean they're the other ones, yeah. the ones who are like, you know, gonna
3: rah-rah and cheer yeah. you too. Yeah. And, and it's their
2: characters who are helping drive things driving the story and their yeah. decisions that are propelling it. So
3: that's the thing too, is like for people who are who are new to this or at least have have maybe not dungeon master themselves, a lot of them will go to the Chris and go to me and be like, You guys weave such incredible stories, thank you for this. And you're like we're happy to have been a catalyst, but you need to give credit to the players equally because they are bringing as much to the table, sometimes if not more. And and building these great narratives, you know, we're yeah. we're setting the scenes, we're we're helping weave checkpoints and 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 threads that they can pick up, but they take it in directions that we don't expect in so many ways that elevate it beyond anything we could have expected. Mm. And just you know, I, I I feel like there isn't there's there's a knee jerk reaction to give the credit to <clears throat> us when yes. really like it, it's yeah. deserved it all across the table.
2: Exactly, I feel like my role as a DM is to sort of sit back and postulate, what if? Yeah. I'm going to create a, a what-if situation. What if this were to happen, with no necessary expectation of how it's going to unfold? Because random dice rolls and player uh, aegis will kind of take it from there. Yeah. Uh, with the live games in particular, Acquisitions Inc. I learned a hard lesson early on, which is <laughs> I can only I can really only set set the scene. After that, I have no idea where the story is going to go. Yeah. These guys are just so that would be
1: scary. out in
2: left field sometimes that uh, it really becomes a shared improvisational experience at that point.
3: Man, especially that crew. <laughs> <laughs> especially that crew. <laughs> Even yeah. before we started streaming, I remember seeing like the early uh, Acquisitions <laughs> Inc. live games, and I was like, these... This poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> I do not envy you. Be a DM live. Yeah. like like crazy? Like, right. Yeah, audience is watching it. Like this is so much fun as a person who's been DMing most of his life. I just remember <laughs> watching this video, just going like, I'm so sorry. Are you are you I okay, feel you, buddy?
1: <laughs> you always seem like you're really enjoying it. When you I'm hold in, your own.
3: I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can enjoy it and st- and, right, still yes. going, and still be going. What
2: terrified. is happening? Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes.
3: That's half the fun, actually. Like I think the, the, the adrenaline that kicks in yes. when you're thrown off of your your number of possibly prepared tracks is where the real joy of Dungeon Mastering kicks in. Yes. When that whole page just gets thrown out, you're like, all right, guys, let's see where this is going. You know, Those are the craziest and most memorable yes. experiences. Well, I
1: think that's, that's, where- when, that's
2: when they meet the real Chris Perkins in Renton. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Seriously, I mean. You did do that, there, didn't there, you? Yeah, there was
2: one live game where they hopped in a strange, funky, magical machine and they traveled through time and space to Renton, Washington and broke into the Wizards <laughs> into of the, the Coast ad- headquarters.
0: Oh
1: yeah. Uh,
2: that was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> That's like where are you? All right. Yeah. We're, going it. we're going there. We're going there. Man, that was that was that That's was good times. Me sniffing too much something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was that when you were Yeah, I remember that one now. Uh, no. so shifting tracks a little bit. Uh, so when you're doing uh, voiceover work uh, for for games, you don't get that much leeway right when you're when you're you don't get to no improvise. you don't get any yeah. yeah we're
3: we're we're the hired uh, talent the client has a very strong idea and and to be fair that that's part of the 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 kind of relationship and the trust you have as an actor is we are only given a part of the tapestry mm-hmm. that our character is involved in the the director and the producers and these titles they can see the entire piece or at least hopefully they do um, so you <laughs> kind of have to trust that their direction their instincts even if it's different from what you're expecting to do, are correct because they can see where it's going to fit and how it's going to weave into the whole final product. Um, but yeah, we have very little control going in there. Um, but although, what, there is some collaboration. Yeah, I was bit. just going to
0: say, because the Pillars of Eternity uh, Deadfire,
3: right? That's what yeah, it's Yeah, yeah, um, That had a, a bunch of the Critical Role cast participating, right? Yeah, but that, that was a special scenario because usually when you go in, there, there is a, uh, I, I'll dial it back a little bit. There is some collaboration in the... The nature of the performance mm-hmm. but like for the most part the dialogue is locked in you know you don't really have any influence in the story or narrative at all mm-hmm. um and pillars of eternity uh which is a, <laughs> a, an rpg series that i've i loved i kickstarted started the first one before i was even involved with it um and it, as a as a kind of spiritual successor to the classic kind of isometric baldur's gate rpgs like that's that was my that's my yeah. jam yeah, yeah. yeah. um so, so to be part of that was great, but for for the, for the sequel, uh, the fact that we were able to bring, not just us as a cast for the main characters for the story, uh, but to then bring our critical role, campaign one characters, into the game as a DLC that you could then build with our, our voice clips was one of the most surreal experiences I think I'll ever have in my life. <laughs>
0: Why? What, what made it so weird? Just because it was this characters you've had for four years being immortalized in this way? Or?
3: Kind of, but also in, envision these characters that you play. Still, though it's on camera to a certain extent, still privately amongst your friends, and mm-hmm. you're improvising the space, and you don't know what's going to happen. Having a, te- a team of writers submit you a script for approval, where they've written dialogue <laughs> oh God, for your for your a, RPG character.
2: script writer for years. Yeah, yeah, and
3: and then reading through and going oh, wow, these people have actually watched a lot of the show, researched them, and, and have a really good feel for their voice. Oh, good.
1: I thought you were going to say the opposite.
3: No, I, well, I, I, that was our, our worry initially. was like, oh, I, ho- I hope they're okay with us giving them harsh feedback. Yeah. But they like they were fans of the show, and they knew him very well, and they did a great job writing the dialogue. And so we, we went back and forth and like added stuff to it, and we collaborated on the script there. And then going into record in a recording studio as your D&D character yeah. was, we're all voice actors, we've been doing this for years and years, but not one of us didn't walk in there to record our, our D&D character and go, this feels really strange. Mm. It's like worlds colliding. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, it, was, it was a crazy crossover that I never would have expected. And, uh, and then when the game came out and getting to sit there and customize the characters in the game and then play around in a full party of them and hearing all my friends in their D D party, shouting battle cries and stuff, it was very cool and very oh, right, surreal.
0: They recorded all the barks and all the things that people wanted yeah. to say. So you're like, oh, oh, that's so and so. Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> yeah, like go ahead and uh, go ahead and put Scanlan in your party, and he's like, you know, ain't no party like a Scanlan party because a Scanlan party makes you criminally complicit. <laughs> <laughs> and like cute little like things like that that I wasn't present for the recording, so it's even catching me off guard. Oh, and I'm laughing. Nice. And, yes. Uh yeah, I love that. It was. Uh, big big ups to to Obsidian for not just having the idea of this collaboration, but working with us on it and, and kind of making this one of this nerd boys' unexpected dreams come true. I guess <laughs> yeah, it was wild. You
1: could not have imagined any of this no. when you were Felicia first approached you.
3: Not at all.
1: Also, were you thinking people want to watch people play yeah. d Yeah, I mean that's like, weird. Out, well, outside, I remember yeah, thinking I had that.
2: that
3: uh, yeah, I. I thought that, too. Oh, yeah. Like, we brought up the Acquisition Seek live shows, and we had those first meetings, because, like, that's, like, a, it's an auditorium setting. Mm-hmm. They're, like, you know, professional creatives up there on stage. <laughs> or a bunch of... I <laughs> know. <Yeah>, there's <laughs> a lot of air quotes in it's, there. It's, it's, it's always that outside-looking-in perspective, right, you know? Yeah. You're, like, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a meager waste of space. Everyone else, not me. You know, it's that imposter syndrome thing where you're just, like, everybody out there is oh, yeah. much better at what they do. They don't know that I'm bad at what I do yet. Try and hide it. Try and hide it. <laughs> um, they just don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, but it's, it's a real feeling. And, yeah. so, and so in those early meetings, we're like, they will go see a live show at a, at a convention for gaming. Yes. You know, with all these personalities who are like professional writers and the Penny Arcade guys and like the guy who writes D&D. Like, that makes sense. We're a bunch of voice actor nobodies doing this on the Internet. Like, why would anybody care? And so we, we and we just went. You know what? We'll give it a shot. Mm-hmm. You know they they kept wanting oh, yeah. to to gamify it a bit. You know because have cause, yeah, producers and web media. They're like, how about if you play the RPG and then for the boss fight, you jump over to the PC and you play the the boss <laughs> in the computer game? We're like, that is a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, we just want to play our game. And so yeah. Twitch is the format was the one that allowed us the loudest. Like, look, if yeah. it, if you just put cameras in the room, and we just play our game as we've always played it we'll try that we'll do our funny voices like we yeah. always do yeah we'll just be, it'll be fine we'll be yeah. stupid and who
0: knows
2: where adults. the story will go yeah. like last week
3: yeah oh
0: my god <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah well, no spoilers but l- last week's episode of critical role went really really far off where i was expecting it to go and i love those episodes. oh they're great they're, they're the right. best they're yeah. great and the next episode's gonna be real interesting <laughs> As you try to get it back on track. Or just to see what the ramifications are of mm-hmm. the things that transpired. Yes. Um needless to say they've uh they, they they've acquired a new means of transportation and in the doing so may have alienated a city. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. And and, and there's probably going to be some real deep philosophical conversations between the party next. It's session. so
0: funny how many
3: dungeon <laughs> masters may literally I literally jump
0: a shark next week.
3: No, yeah. yeah, <laughs> good. <all right. laughs>
0: Gotta he's get like, that, in like, that in there.
3: Yeah, I did allude to a shark at the end of the last okay. episode, so
0: ah, it There work. you it go. go. Uh, it was just funny how many Dungeon Masters I follow on Twitter who were watching and were like, "Oh, it was similar to your <laughs> yep. your concern for Chris for Acquisitions <laughs> Incorporated." They're like,
3: "Oh man, these are the worst slash best sessions. Yep. Let's see how it goes <laughs> from here." Mm-hmm. And, it, and it all stems from like a couple of quick decisions that may not be the you know the most optimal choice, but the dice roll will be fine, and then the dice rolls poorly. And the next dice rolls oh, poorly. Yeah. And then it's just this, this, this kind of spiral yes. of absolute chaos. And the players are stressed and trying to figure it out. Yeah. And then each thing they think is going to work doesn't or not in the way they expect because of just the way it's set up. And by <laughs> the end of it, you all stop and go, what just happened? <laughs> How did that happen? I think That was the, amazing.
2: One of the fascinating things about adventure writing, just sort of take it back to the books, is you can't anticipate that when you're writing the adventure. Right. You've just got to put all the toys out and know – that as soon as they start interacting with it, things are going to go sideways. Decisions mm. are going to be made that are not expected. Um, I think the goal narratively is just to make sure that there's enough in an adventure that a DM doesn't feel like they're completely out to
0: sea right. when
2: things yeah. do go
0: haywire. They've got the ammunition to bring it yeah. to the story whenever they I mean. there
2: But there's some, there's some places in Dragon Heist where we, we inserted things that we know could have serious narrative consequences for campaigns. Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as you put a submarine Mm -hmm. in an adventure... It changes everything. You know, the characters could get their hands on it, and then, well... (laughs) There we go.
0: And they may not want to be in <laughs>
2: anymore. water deep like, is now on. our new campaign.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it's going to be a fun campaign um, too. So,
2: uh, uh, but it was all done consciously. And I think that's the key.
0: Well, I do want to say I did a, uh, uh, a session. Uh, it's my third one of uh, a water deep dragon heist campaign and it's, uh, two new players. One hasn't played ever. And the other one didn't play since the eighties. Mm-hmm. And after, you know, this was our third session. We were kind of going through, uh, some of the introductory, uh, dungeons in, in here. Um, the player who hadn't played since the '80s said, uh, "He's like, man, this is very different from what I remember when I was playing. It was very much like go into a room, kill monsters, go to right. the next room, kill monsters." And he was like, it "Was at the tail end of when we were playing, there was this one adventure that was different, and it totally changed our ideas of what it was." And this was, you know, a ten-year-old kid at the time who was like going through this, uh, and he's like, oh, "What was the name of it? It was, uh, it was, it was Ravenloft." It was, and I was like, oh, yeah. I-6? Uh, from." And my, <laughs> By the way, I talk, wow. I've spoken to Chris Perkins and Tracy Hickman, the writer of that story, about all that. Um, but I did remember that conversation because it was so, I think you had said that same exact quote, where yeah. it was like, that was the one that added that one. story, that added this, this ongoing narrative throughout and tied all of the rooms together yeah. to make it something. And I just thought it was very striking that this person who had been out of Dungeons & Dragons for 30 years, really, had that same thought and... Was reminded of that playing this adventure, you know, because yeah. he he knew that there was all of these things that are happening, all these threads that could be pulled upon. And he's excited to, to, to play yeah. more. Yeah, off and
3: right. uh, off off that bit too. If um, if if you're a dungeon master who's really only run each campaign once or any sort of scenario once, I highly recommend you have the opportunity. Even it's just like especially for one shots to try and run the same scenario for multiple kinds of groups. Especially if you're <laughs> looking to ever write you know, any sort of adventure modules mm-hmm. or, or stories in the future, you, it really helps to have that perspective to see how the exact same scenario can be played so radically differently based on the different players' choices that are made. I have a number of one-shots that I've built over the years for, like, friends' birthday parties and events that just, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd do for friends, and I'd run those, that same scenario for different groups and just seeing how wildly different each adventure ends up swinging and mm-hmm. how they end up finding yep. their way to the end of it is such a, a unique and wonderful ride yeah. that helps inform your design choices going forward for anything you plan to write or run in the future. Right. And uh, I've, I've learned a lot. Um, an adventure I ran for for Joe Manganello actually, the first time I ever played a game with him, I ran it at one shot that I had written years before and had played for like three or four different times with other groups where it had this whole, like, uh, you know, a corrupt uh, a swamp that had like mm-hmm. its fane was was being corrupted by some some entity, and there was a a, a druid leader there that themselves because they were bound to this swamp, they were beginning to slowly feel the corruption, and it was kind of like rotting their body. And they're supposed to you know, be given this quest to go do that. And a few of the stories went that route. Some of them just wanted to to ask the townsfolk ran it for Joe, missed that whole thread and ended up going like trying to to kill these two gnomes that that stole money from them <laughs> in a tavern found out about a uh, a, a group of, of of smugglers in the town, found their warehouse, burned it to the ground <laughs> killed most of them in there uh, you know almost killed one of their leaders, burned his face, and then healed him again just enough to get the information, and then killed him. <laughs> And it just it turned into this this whole different, like, diehard movie uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> scenario that I'd never expected, but it it then that one shot now has a whole other facet. So that I Were I've you making that, that
1: up on the fly? Yeah. Like he's like, oh, now we're in a warehouse. Okay. Uh,
3: yeah. A whole criminal oh. faction that I didn't have prepared for this one shot that was just supposed to be this little kind of bottle episode. Mm-hmm. Fun. Like, go save the, the druid seer. No. <laughs> nope. 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 Screw nope. that seer. Get him out of here. Yep. Yeah. Always one.
1: How I love how, one. I, I yep.
3: love how this is basically a Rorschach
0: test as well. Like, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and Dragon Heist has so many different ways to, to play through and it
2: one of the one of the advantages of sending an adventure out to playtesting is you get exactly that all in one big wad uh, when the playtest feedback comes in and you realize oh, you know 200 groups played this adventure and none of them had the same experience yeah. and in some cases des- DMs made decisions that kind of took things off a real on a weird path mm-hmm. or, or would make uh, spontaneous decisions like uh, switching the villain uh, because they were having so much fun pursuing this other lead. Yeah. So I just sort of led them in a different direction. It's like, okay, well, functioning as intended, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So when
1: you get feedback like that, would you say working as intended or, oh, no, this is broken? Well, like, uh, some, groups never... sometimes,
2: it's, sometimes it's broken. People will hit some part of the adventure which they didn't understand All right. because it was badly written or badly framed or it just wasn't fun. And several groups would say, you know, this one encounter here was too tough. You know, four of our five characters died.
0: It's like, oh, well, I can fix that. Oopsie. Yeah. Well, if we got to make sure 5 out of 5 of those characters die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The True test. It's the first you encounter. Me, Why
3: Duster. is the first
2: encounter so hard? Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of which, Kenku killed all my my characters. Uh, okay. <laughs> so there yeah. you go. Yeah.
3: And I was like, "Alright." Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, if you can without spoiling anything, what what were some of the the weirder choices the DMs took that you weren't expecting?
2: Oh gosh. Um one of them was uh, the 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 party spent a great deal of time in the old Zoblob shop, which is this, there's like one, yeah. one paragraph or two paragraphs written about it in the adventure about this gnome that runs a shop that has a stuffed beholder in the window. And for some reason, a, a particular group of players were so determined that there was some kind of mischief going on there, That's that they were tearing the whole place apart, they were analyzing everything, they were magically interrogating the gnome, even though they knew it was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so this whole like the entire campaign just started to center around this tiny little shop, um, not intended, of course, my players have loved that shop, as yeah, well, yeah, people, it's all it's all purple fitness shop of course, that's yeah, that was the thing that was like this, purple, so they're thinking I would "Oh. Be suspicious we have though. to we have to figure purple. out what's going on with this really? weird ass shop with yeah. a stuffed beholder um there was must- it like
1: a taxidermy beholder or yeah. like a plushie beholder? a, a, a
2: taxidermid beholder, okay
1: oh, yeah. Yeah, So, suspicious.
2: yeah, clearly
3: suspicious. Yeah, well, it's hard to properly treat far flesh, too. That, that <laughs> dissolves pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And there was another one machine. where yeah. they had
2: to chase this sort of uh, automated man, this construct that looks like a swashbuckler, mm-hmm. across rooftops. And uh, apparently they were having really some trouble with the chase rules actually catching him. Oh, OK. And so the whole thing basically bent this is sort of, uh, you know, draft a bunch of townsfolk to help you sweep an entire ward of the city <laughs> in this sort of methodical police hunt manner nice. for this creature. It's like, wow, that's... The adventure did not account for you, you know, dragooning an entire city ward.
1: <laughs> <to get enough laughs> for this.
2: But the DM was able to manage it just fine. Yeah, um, That's great. So, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So what, what are your favorite types of players when you're a, a DM? And then what are your least favorite types of players? Asking as a player,
3: right? (laughs) (laughs) How can I improve my playing?dom
1: Yes. What should I not do
3: for me personally? And then this thing personally, because it changes from player to player, table to table. um, I really appreciate one players that are very respectful to the other players and listen. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had games in the past where you have some players that are really into the idea of them being the hero, yeah, and wanting to constantly step into that light and kind of uh, treat the rest of the party. Like their sidekicks, you know, or their groupies, Um, and that is not conducive. So, for me, the type of player that listens and is respectful to the other players to share that spotlight and to be collaborative in that storytelling is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, Players that uh, are interested in 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 not always dealing with every conflict with combat, who are willing willing to find other avenues. Uh, It's very easy, especially if you're used to the older editions. In some cases. Um, or if you play a lot of video games, to be like, well, there's there's creatures, fight and kill them, take gold. Yeah. Right. Um, And Murder so, I like, yeah,
2: I like players who understand their characters' strengths and weaknesses um, really well, and they they're okay with the weaknesses in their characters, and they use that to drive their characters' decisions and to yeah. help, therefore, drive the story. Um, I, flawed characters are inherently more interesting story wise, anyway. But um, the One of my favorite things to watch is a player come to the conclusion that this is what the character should do, but this is what the character is going to do because this is how the character would react to the situation. Yeah. When you see the player having that little internal monologue and that moment of indecision, should I min-max the situation
3: <laughs>
2: for the party's benefit or should I play the character as... We all know the right. character should be played. I love those internal little moments of tension and watching as the player says, nope, I'm going to do what the character would do in this situation.
3: And, and then watch the rest of the party react with,
2: what are no! you doing?
3: Oh, right, but also yeah. going
0: like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That> makes sense. <laughs> totally a character. <laughs> and that is, I mean, that's the essence our, of d bad for
2: having a barbarian. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, excellent. Uh, I, I love the work that uh, was put uh, laying down the foundations uh, for Waterdeep with uh, with you guys. And uh, the final product is uh, is looking like a lot of people are enjoying it as an introductory adventure, too. I don't know if that was an intention, but it's become oh, yes. Yes, uh, the conversation a lot for, yeah. for folks to jump in. And uh, it's it's been working really well with yeah. my group.
2: I've certainly had fun running it on Dice Camera Action. Although I'm not running the adventure as written. I'm sort of doing a... A riff.
0: Right. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, they were already low a higher level to begin with. Yeah, my,
2: my characters are 11th level, and they're going through this level one to five adventure. And um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> You'd
2: think they'd be stomping right through it, but no. <laughs> I wonder run. why. They're yeah. suboptimal.
0: <laughs> 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 awesome. Thanks, you guys, uh, uh, for everything. This is amazing. Thank yeah. you for having us, guys. Yeah, been a Thank pleasure. <laughs> uh, why didn't you ask Matt about... Uh, your amazing vocal talents. You just I, skipped right over that part. I just
1: part. didn't. He was already talking about imposter syndrome. <laughs> I didn't want him to feel like, oh, gosh, she's so good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why you didn't want to make him feel bad no. about he's been doing this for years. I know. And then you just come just on like, and oh,
1: like, I just do this for my son. Yeah. And then he was like, oh
0: my God. Well, you forget the first time that he came she's on, you talent. did, I think you did Bert or I something did. like that. And then and he, he like dropped,
1: followed it with Kermit.
0: Yeah. And it was like spot on.
1: It was not cool.
0: I had to blink my eyes and be like, so, are, "Are we really talking to Kermit right now?"
1: That's actually the real reason. What I don't—he totally just was like, "Okay, he was too good."
0: Like it was a uh, a da- like a like a walk off from, yeah. and you were like, "No, I can't. I well, I'm never then.
1: gonna do that again." Right. And that was the last time I did a voiceover
0: <laughs> ever Eva. until Ben Looms came in here and recorded you doing Sirenscape.
1: I was weeping. I was laughing. I was in a tavern. Yeah. I was a townsfolk.
0: What did you do in the townsfolking? Did you just be like... Murmur, 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 watermelon, watermelon, watermelon.
1: watermelon. (laughs) It was very fun.
0: (laughs) I'm sad I missed it. I uh, I, I missed the kind of group recording sessions. I don't know, work, I guess. I was doing something worky. I don't even remember at the time. It was a busy day. Well, it was fun. It was fun, and I got to do at least one voice for Sirenscape, so... Uh, this could be your big break it could be you never know um, if you guys don't know what we're talking about Sirenscape is a soundboard of sorts uh, it's an app that you can download that has a whole bunch of I have it um, sound effects as well as music original music uh, that you can uh, play during your Dungeons and Dragons game it and. Is. For Waterdeep Dragon Heights, there are specific sound sets that you can purchase right now that give you everything you need to uh, have an amazing background as well as uh, sound effects on cue in your Dungeons & Dragons game. I've experimented with playing a CD or playing a playlist of music that I thought would evoke right. the, the emotions that I wanted to, but it's so hard to make it work, you know, because you're, oh, skip ahead, oh, I'm on the wrong track, blah, 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 and then the whole session becomes about, like, your sound not being cool. Yeah. Sirenscape makes it so easy, and uh we got to record some fun stuff, and lots of other uh people in the yep. D&D office uh, were able to do tons of fun talented stuff like that. people. Very talented people. Yeah. More talented than you and I. Oh, yeah. Well, well, at least me. No one's more talented than you.
1: Well, that's true. Let's go with
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> Lift you up. Yeah. You just, sometimes you just got to say thank you. And you're like, yeah, that's right. Accept the
1: compliment. I nailed it. Nailed, nailed it. it. Nailed it.
0: All right. Uh,
1: you know what else we nailed? What? The people listening to this is attention span. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's Your attention span has been sacrificed, and we're so sorry. We're
1: sorry. Yeah.
0: We apologize. If you made it all the way through to listening to this.
1: They're probably still waiting for our guest what is going on
0: wait no this is the outro
1: i know but the people who are on twitch right now are probably like
0: oh yeah
1: oh sorry i messed that up i forgot i don't know where i am right now
0: <laughs> we're in outro land uh. and we're going to talk about where we can follow us and show social media where is that shelly
1: on the Twitter's. on the twitter's shelly moo yes Do you know somebody thought my last name was moo
0: yeah bob uh mentioned that i thought it was just moo who didn't Bob mention that? Bob? Bob.
1: Bob's known me long enough.
0: I know, but he I think it was a joke he was making.
1: Oh, but somebody for reals. Yeah? Yeah. They're like, oh, so it's Shelly. Moo? Dot moo? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no? Maybe you should just legally change it. That sounds like I fun. like it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. All right. Your mom would like it too. She would. Yeah.
1: Although it should be Shelly Moo Moo.
0: Oh, there's two moos?
1: She calls me Moo Moo. Oh.
0: Because you'd you like to wear Moo Moos?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I would love to wear a muumuu right They're now. They're so comfortable. Oh my god!
0: I had a friend who basically wore a muumuu like an entire semester of college. No way! Yeah, and she's like, "This is great. Why would I ever wear anything else? This How is did perfect."
1: She, like, get away with. She was a theater major.
0: She well, no, she was just hanging out with theater majors. Oh. I think that was part of it. Huh. Yeah, cool. Shout out. To Lindsay Gilberto. And the
1: Moo Moo And the Moo Moo. Where can people find you, Greg Tito?
0: I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram at Greg underscore Tito, where I post lots of pictures of my kids as well oh. as the games I'm playing generally.
1: Do your kids know that you're posting pictures of them? I have not
0: gotten their signed affidavits, but they... Just black
1: out their eyes? Yeah,
0: exactly. Just black out their eyes. Yeah so no one can tell who they really are. No, but they're so cute that I need to put them on there. They're They're very adorable. adorable. Um, And then if you want to find out anything about going on with D&D, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. It's a very very good place to start. That would be good. Uh, Or check out Dragon Plus. There's a new issue dropping. If not right now, very, very soon. It will be delivered into your phones uh, on iOS or uh, Android. uh, And uh, you can also check out that content on Mm -hmm. DragonMag.com. com. Yeah. Which is super great yes. And there's so much Interesting so much. stuff In this board game issue That's coming out in October
1: Yes My board games Are in that issue
0: <sighs> Yeah that's right Betrayal Legacy
1: And Access and Allies and Zombies Access and, and Allies and we're, Zombies we're Which we're is we doing A Dungeon Mayhem feature in there.
0: Oh nice that There is yeah. a Dungeon Mayhem yeah. feature In there too I think I edited it oh, yeah. Just recently I
1: edited it a little bit more And then
0: I edited it Even more after you did I it. gotta
1: edit my edits <laughs> Edit
0: Edit, edit. <laughs> uh, You know what we need to <laughs> edit Is this podcast Sorry So we're done
1: we are. Yeah,
0: let's. And look at,
1: they said it couldn't be done in under an hour.
0: oh and I got to see a baby picture of oh, Queen all at the same I time. I Can't
1: take this picture off. He's so cute. He's very, he's very look adorable. At that chubby baby.
0: Yeah, mm. he's not like that anymore. He's all grown up.
1: It's all about the poop and the. Footage. You know what else is grown up? This
0: podcast. <laughs> 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 oh.
3: Goodbye, everyone. Oh. oh.